0: You are listening to the DFJ Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find podcasts and videos of these lectures online at ecorner.stanford.edu. Let's welcome Drew House the Stanford. <laughs> All right. Can you guys hear me okay? Good. Um... So it's really a pleasure to be here uh, and surreal for me in in a couple of different ways, but uh, a big turning point on kind of my whole entrepreneurial adventure was actually uh, about five years ago, maybe six years ago. uh, There's this thing called Startup School, um, which is held in an auditorium not too far from here. So uh, it's been a pretty crazy journey since then that I uh, hope to tell you guys a little bit about. And so what I want to talk about is... First and foremost, uh, a little bit of the Dropbox story, especially the early days and how we got started, um, and maybe thread through there uh, some of the lessons we can draw from that and you know, when I was embarking on this journey, it was actually you know I, I graduated with my undergrad uh, degree in computer science about six years ago, um, so it hasn 't been that long, but I, it would have been awesome if like someone sat me down and told me uh, what the journey would be like so i 'm trying to think of of, of this and kind of those terms. What do I wish someone had told me when I was you know, 21, 22, just getting started because it was a pretty kind of, you know, what, what, you sort of, what I was thinking about the whole startup world was kind of uh, like climbing Mount Doom, right? You, sort of, you don't know how tall it is, but there's a lot of fire and things exploding all around you and a lot of smoke and it's really steep and you know, even if you know where you're going right now, uh, things are going to get gnarly down the road. So uh, if I can do anything to kind of demystify some of the process too. Um, uh, I hope I can do that, so uh, thanks again, uh, a little bit about me, so I grew up um, as a little kid, I was programming computers, um, studied uh, computer science at MIT, I've learned not to fight those kinds of battles, uh, but, uh, or at least it's the Stanford of the East, I guess you could, you could call it, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was really kind of uh, the beginning, and, and um, One thing I realized there was I had been programming for a while, so I actually felt I had a pretty good handle on on the building part of things. Um, But then I was really fascinated by the world of business too. And um, throughout high school uh, and college, I had worked at a bunch of different startups. And more than anything else, uh, working at a startup was the most kind of informative experience for me or the thing that prepared me best for this kind of whole journey. And that was a little counterintuitive because... uh, you know especially if you if you go to you know competitive school you grow up and you know life is all about checking these boxes right first you got to you, know, you got to get the right test scores you got to get the right gpa you got to do these different things to kind of uh, be prepared and sort of look at, you know be good enough to be admitted in, into a good school um, and so if you kind of carry that logic forward you imagine that the right path to startups would be something like well you know what got me here was checking off these boxes and can think of all kinds of other boxes that I should check off before i 'm like really ready to start a company, um, you know among them, maybe I should get a bunch of you know, graduate degrees so I 'm a really good engineer, maybe I should go get an MBA so I know about business. Uh, maybe I should get work at a big company like, or like a big tech company like Google, then maybe I should work at a medium company and then a small company, and then you know sometime in my 30s 40s 50s i 'll be prepared to start a company and empirically. Uh, You know, there there is no. I mean, one thing about this whole world is a bunch of different paths uh, to success. But um, empirically, it's sort of surprising that so many of the companies kind of uh, you'd think about in the Hall of Fame were started by people who were basically had no idea what the hell they were doing either. And so, if you have that feeling, um, you know, it it should be of some comfort that you know, Amazon, Google, Facebook, um, Apple, all these things were started by. Um, you know, first or second time entrepreneurs who, uh, who were really figuring it out along the way too. Um, and so don't be too daunted if you don't have all the answers. But um, one important part of the Dropbox story began uh, when a f- one of my best friends, this guy named Adam, uh, Adam Smith, he started a company called Zobni, and he got funding from this group of people called, called Y Combinator. And uh, back then they were still doing it in Boston as well as out here, um, and I was literally camped out in his living room while he was working on his company. And uh, I had been working on a company I had bootstrapped, uh, of all things, an SAT prep company, sometime starting sometime in 2004. And you know, like most first efforts, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, in retrospect, we did all kinds of things wrong. Um, but the biggest thing that was illuminating was. Uh, just So, what happened with Adam was he got a little bit of funding in the, at the beginning of the summer, and at the end of the summer, he moved out here. He moved out to, well, he moved up to the city, uh, to San Francisco, and suddenly he was talking to like, all these people, you know, all these you know, billionaires and famous entrepreneurs that I'd only read about. And the next thing I know, I get this phone call from him being like, hey, we just got like $5 million from Fanode Kosla. And I was like, "Oh my God!" And Adam and I were fraternity brothers uh, at MIT, and he was actually my little brother. And so, kind of a stark contrast between you know, not less than a year prior, probably my best memories with Adam were uh, you know, in, in in our game room at our fraternity playing beer pong, uh, not exactly expecting to be wheelbarrowing away millions of dollars in cash. So I was like, "Well." All right. If Adam can do it, I can too. Uh, and so, never, <laughs> never, never, under, <laughs> never underestimate some of the baser motivations and, and, and how they can propel you forward. Or, or maybe as a more practical piece of advice, um, you know, uh, there's some quote that you're an average of of, of your five closest friends. So it can really help to be in a place where you know your your closest friends are also interested in, in startups, and you're all kind of pushing each other forward in, in a good-natured way, but there's also an undercurrent of competition that can really uh, be helpful. So I saw the experience that I went through with, uh, um, with Zobni and Y Combinator. I was having sort of this... It, it helped me discover that I was kind of having this crisis where um, I couldn't put a name to it, but it was something like burnout where I'd been working on my SAT prep company for you know, two or three years, part-time, um, and, and while I was finishing up my degree, and I was like, I haven't even like asked myself like in the in the best case scenario, what happens? And I'm sort of thinking, I'm like, well, best case scenario is like I'm kind of like king of SAT prep, and I kind of imagine like a little you know, cardboard like Burger King crown or something. <laughs> um, but I'm like, I'm not even really that excited about that because like there's not really. I mean, there. I mean, I love standardized testing as much as any hormonally balanced person can. <laughs> but I'm like, this is probably not my calling. So, uh, and so I was like, well, okay, I've spent so much time on this thing. I should really think carefully about what I do next. And I was like, okay, it should really come down to a few things. Um, and one of them was, it, it had to be something that was deeply, te- deeply technical because you know at heart, you know, since I was a little, you know, technology is, is what I really love. Um, and I would love for whatever company I start to have technology as kind of the core source of its competitive advantage. Uh, two is I wanted something that I could explain to normal people uh, you know, in a bar or a coffee shop or something and have them vaguely know what I'm talking about. And so um, there are lots of interesting ideas that you know uh, some elements of infrastructure or software or enterprise software that kind of ruled that out um, even though it's technically interesting. And third was, um, it had to be something that had a working business model, because um, actually this was kind of the height of Web 2.0. Is all kind of back to eyeballs and these different things, but I didn't really understand how that works if you know, can't eventually get uh, people to pay for your stuff, or at least four people or however many <laughs> were in here. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it was a good exercise for me, because then I was able to, to think long and hard about what I did next. And um, it was, I found myself in this really bizarre situation where um, the same way that like social or mobile or local startups are kind of the 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 fad right now, um, in late 2006, early 2007, uh, cloud storage or online storage startups were kind of the thing that is like the startup cliche, basically. And so you you know on TechCrunch you'd have these roundups of like okay here are the next hundred uh, online storage companies that have launched, um, and it was just kind of a joke and. Uh, but at the same time, I had all these problems with this because I had this company and all of our crown jewels I had on this little thumb drive and I was always like one stupid mistake away from disaster, right? I, was, I would carry it like in my, in my shorts and I'd like pull it out and the connector would be bent and I'd like pray that I could like <laughs> bend it back softly but firmly enough so that I would keep working, <laughs> you know? And I would, uh, I, mean, I mean, just all the things that, that, that people would do. I'd still be emailing myself stuff, I'd still be, carrying this thing around my little leash um, and it just drove me nuts. And, and I, you know, I went through Michael Arrington's articles and I tried all 100 of the things and um, I found something interesting where you know, none of them really solved the problem for me, um, even though there were a lot of them. And, and in particular, you had to get like one thing to, you know, one service that was like website you could upload your stuff to and then you had to get another app that was like, that would sync things across your computers and you get another app to back up your computer. And I'm like, as we would later tell investors, I'm like, I mean, I can't really imagine uh, Tom Cruise in Minority Report like logging into his Gmail to like pick up the attachment he sent himself that morning or like you know forgetting his thumb drive, right? He's just up over here and just your stuff follows you around and that's the whole point, like someone else takes care of it. Um, and we had a glimpse of that at school and I'm, and I'm sure you guys have something similar. The, we have this system called Athena. Or you sit down at any of tens of thousands of computers across campus, all your stuff's in front of you, you know, you don't think about it. And it's kind of it's not a very, you know, it, it's not a consumer kind of typical environment. It's very kind of Unix focused and things like that. But still, you're not like sprinting back across campus to pick up, you know, your paper. Um, you're not worried about backing it up because again, someone else is just taking care of it. And nobody had really built that uh for the rest of the world. And, and like, and this was pre this was pre um, you know, iPhone and iPad and all the amazing things that have happened in the last five years. And and it wasn't actually a very mainstream use case. I mean, people were not syncing things across like six Linux PCs. Uh, even then, most people just had one computer. But um, anyway, this drove me nuts enough where the kind of last straw was, uh, was uh, I was in Boston South Station at the Chinatown bus terminal. And if any of you had a, the pleasure of, of riding the Chinatown bus, uh, it costs like 10 or 15 bucks and it takes you from... Boston to New York and is famous for such things as like tipping over or things like that. <laughs> so fortunately that wasn't part of the story. Um, and I got to New York okay, but there, there was a problem, which is I had been making this, this mental checklist of like all these great things that I was going to get done because I had had you know, four hours in front of me where nobody was going to bother me and, and here are all the great things I was going to accomplish. And I you know, excitedly sit down and I open up my, I guess, ThinkPad at the time. Uh, and I'm like, I get that feeling in the pit of my stomach, which I'm sure many of you have experienced at one time or another, where it's like start feeling around in my pockets, you know, and I just get this vivid picture in my head of of my thumb drive sitting on my desk at home. And I'm like, shit (laughs) You know? And then I'm like, okay, instead of getting all these wonderful things done, now I'm just gonna think about what an idiot I am for the next four hours. But uh, sulked for 10 or 15 minutes but then actually opened up the editor and started writing some code uh, having uh, absolutely no idea what this turned into but I'm like I was so frustrated that nobody had really solved this problem. And, and so that was the, kind of the uh, beginning of it and then through a kind of an interesting chain of events, I met my co-founder Arash, uh, actually put up a um, I put up a screencast of Dropbox on Hacker News and Arash actually saw it and it turned out um, one of the other things I did on this trip out to California five years ago, uh, back in March 2007, um, was come out to meet a bunch of the Y Combinator founders and complain how I didn't have a co-founder and it turned out I met someone who was a mutual friend of mine and Arash's and he made an introduction to us and we met up at the uh, MIT Student Center and hung out for an hour or two and talked about MySQL and some other things and Dropbox. And um, they were like, yeah, of course we'll like spend all of our waking hours together for the foreseeable future. Uh, you know, it's, so kind of like getting married on the first date. Uh, but you know, if anything, there was just an extraordinarily lucky break that it ended up working out and we ended up having all these um, Complementary skills and in a great relationship, but I, I would recommend getting to know. Yeah, you know, that's not the the safe way to do it, but and that's the one probably most important decision you make uh, is who your co-founder is. Um, but anyway, so uh, Arash and I applied to Y Combinator and we get in and we spend this uh, blissful summer of doing nothing but waking up, writing code uh, till the sun goes down, then it comes up again, and then I would you know. Drive back and drop him off at his dorm at MIT and I'd race home and we'd do it again probably for ninety, 90 days straight. Um, and uh, And so one of the great things about Y Combinator is it kind of plugs you in it's sort of a you know, startup boot camp where you encounter all these cast of characters uh, that you meet out here where you know you hear uh, talks there's all the program is is really these weekly dinners, and you have talks from entrepreneurs and lawyers investors just all these different people and they kind of start giving you context around what you need to know and and one of the most challenging things as 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 a founder is really you discover very quickly that you know a lot about the or the technical founder is you know a lot about the engineering but there's all these other things you got you suddenly have to care about um, from sales to finance to management to strategy like all these different things and um, one of the things I had done that was really valuable in college is I would during the summers uh, I would go up onto the roof of our house and i'd just go on Amazon and I'd like search for like sales and I'd look for like the highest rated book on that and and like buy it and do the same thing for all of those different uh, disciplines and it actually was absolutely instrumental in in helping me start to understand uh, how all these things worked and you know you don't know, become a great salesperson by reading a book any more than you become a great like, guitarist or basketball player uh, by reading a book. But it can start to give you some sense of, you know for people that are really great at this, what do they think about? And there's a really kind of important eight, like kind of 80-20 aspect of, of, the, of sort of just learning the basics about a given discipline. Um, that was really helpful for me. But anyway, so Y Combinator. Uh, this is this amazing experience. And we moved out of Boston to San Francisco. Um, and just to give you a kind of flavor of the kinds of things uh, that you have to deal with when you're sort of trying to figure all this out, um, is through uh, another series of events we got introduced to this um, venture firm called Sequoia Capital, and it's the kind of thing where, you know, that you walk into the chalets and you know a couple miles away from here, and uh, for someone who never really spent much time in California or never spent much time in the whole ecosystem, it's pretty daunting because you look and it's like, okay, there's like a picture of you know, Steve Jobs, and there's a, you know, a, uh, the original Google S1 or the stock certificates from the IPO, and you're just like, you know, I don't really belong here. I'm just like some, you know, we're just a bunch, a couple of, you know, Arash actually dropped out of school, so he gets all the startup cred, but anyway, so. (laughs) uh, (laughs) But anyway, there we are. And we actually hit it off with the partner there, and, and then through, you know, sort of, muddle our way through and I'm desperately calling people at night asking for advice on fundraising, different things um, through people I'd met. And somehow we found ourselves in a situation where they decided to invest. And um, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And you know, we we're going through all this, the process and you know, it happened pretty quickly. We showed up on a Friday had uh, a handshake deal on Monday night, so one business day turnaround, which was pretty convenient. Uh, and then, then I had this new problem which was their finance people are like emailing me like, okay, please send me your wiring instructions. <laughs> I'm like, wiring instructions, I'm like the only training I have in wiring instructions is I think I'd, that happened in like James Bond movies. Uh, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure we only have like the My First Business checking account from Bank of America that we set up <laughs> in the Cambridge Side Galleria Mall. And I'm like, so this might be tough. So... Uh, uh, Arash and I go to the North Beach branch of of the Bank of America, and we're like, "All right, well, huh. so you got the teller people, and you got the the leather seat people." And we look at each other, and we're like, "This is probably a leather seat problem." Um, <laughs> and uh, we sit down, and and the woman was really nice. She's like, "Oh, can I, you know, how can I help you?" And I'm like, uh, is there a limit to how much a bank account can hold? <laughs> and she's like, "Well, what, what do you mean?" And like, I was dressed in shorts and a hoodie, and Arash was even, even more disheveled. And, uh, and, uh, and I'm like, "Well, can it hold a million dollars?" And she's like, "Yeah." And so, and I don't know if she thought I was like drugs or this kind of thing happens all the time out here, but. Both sides very quickly stopped asking questions, and we got our you know, routing number and everything, and, and went back. But uh, you know, there's no like startup manual where you're like, okay, well here's how you know that works. And you know, so a lot of it is really, um, you know, even when you look um, at some of these amazingly successful companies, and, and having had a chance to meet a lot of those people, so much of what makes startups great is really just kind of this iterative process of just having these random things happen to you, or, or, or having these ideas and just kind of figuring it out, and and I talk about some of the kind of uh, you know more humble beginnings because I think there's this uh, this huge disservice that kind of the uh, of, of a sort of Silicon Valley mythology and, and the things you read in, in magazines where it's like you know from the moment he was sitting in his you know dorm room at Harvard, Mark Zuckerberg sought to redefine the face of human communication. <laughs> um, and you know, and, and Google, they were gonna you know, organize all the world's information and all these different things and you, you sort of sit there and you're like, uh, you're, you're just trying to like write code and hope it compiles. Um, and you're like, well, I know I'm not quite like, like that. I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about like we have $60 left in our checking account and I, I can't loan the company any more money. Um, so anyway, uh, the point is like, in fact, you know, Facebook, it, it was... Number like like project number seven or eight that Mark happened to be hap- hacking on, uh, and it just happened to sign up you know the whole like Harvard campus in a couple of weeks but um, and you know google like they were they were rejected when they offered they wanted to sell the company for a million dollars to yahoo, and so the point is um, all these things start with much more modest ambitions, and even the sort of the great entrepreneurs and the goal you know as you sort of reach. Each of these new milestones, uh, you're like, okay, the goalposts move back, and 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 so your ambitions become much 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 much, uh, broader over time, and and this is kind of all this doesn't happen overnight. So when you kind of look at, I talked at the beginning of how kind of daunting everything seemed because there's like, you know, the little sort of corner of stuff that you know, and and this world of stuff that you don't, um, you know, often that that can be enough of a barrier to stop people from even getting started. So just realize that this this you have to be systematic about how you learn all these things, but um, you know this all happens one day at a time, and so uh, then there were a couple other things that that were pretty instrumental in our you know, in the early years of Dropbox um, and one of them was really figuring out distribution and I think that 's something that people kind of uh, people kind of underestimate the importance of that and it was especially interesting in our case because we made a couple of mistakes. one was like we're like all right well we 're launching this company. and and we should probably get real and like hire PR people and advertise and do all these different things and and, buy, and SEO like and, and buy AdWords and all this stuff. And so we bought a lot of AdWords. Uh, we spent a bunch of money and time on this, uh, and, and the results were just terrible. You know, it cost us like five hundred or a thousand dollars to acquire a user that was going to pay us a hundred bucks. And so um, very clear that that wasn't uh, that wasn't going to work. But we had actually done these more kind of guerrilla things, which was inspired by. Reading the book Guerrilla Marketing*, which was actually really instrumental in thinking about this, where we put this video of Dropbox uh, on Dig in 2007—sorry, uh, March 2008—about a year after we started. And what we managed to do is we put all these little Easter eggs in it. And uh, because, it, and if you're familiar with the Dig or with Dig or Reddit, they're kind of these classic internet communities, and they have these little memes um, and, and things like that. And it was just this deadpan demo of me talking over sort of a screen. Um, but the files were all named things, name, like named after like Chocolate Rain, which was like a YouTube uh, sensation, or at like YouTube, one of these viral videos back in the day. Uh, and, you know, it references to Office Space and Obama and XKCD and all these things. Um, but it's just me kind of deadpan narrating, oh, well, this is how Dropbox works. And uh, the thing just like, and, and we put it, we gave it kind of a, uh, a little bit of a link bait title. Uh, I think it was uh, Google Drive Killer coming from MIT startup. Um, so, Go big, uh, and so uh, the thing just like absolutely took off. It hit the top of it hit the top of dig. It was like twelve thousand digs, hundreds of thousands of people um, visited the drop. Well, what you getdropbox.com, uh, which is our first domain name. It's a whole other story, um, but anyway, all these people visited the, the website, and like our beta waiting list went from five thousand to seventy five thousand people overnight. Um, which is because we you know we'd been wringing our hands about this kind of critical mouse problem and how do we get started and and just that one kind of kind of ghetto thing that we did like ended up working extremely well. Um, in fact, nothing well it, you know it, it solved literally overnight our, our distribution problem or at least get, the getting started problem. And the lesson there is not to make uh, a video and put it on dig because that uh, probably wouldn't work very well anymore. But the um, but really understand. There were a couple of insights that came from that. One is just uh, another thing I learned from one of these books called *Crossing the Chasm*. Is you have this technology adoption life cycle, and you have these people who, um, you know, most people are not searching the internet for like cool things that they can download onto their computer or like want more buttons on their Blu-ray remote, right? Uh, But there are some people who are like that, and they call they're called early adopters, and they kind of seek out technology for its own sake. And any. Service or any company has some kind of early adopters, whether it's a, you know, fashion or cars or, or, in our case, it's really technology and kind of this tool um, or this utility. And Dig was just happened to be the kind of place where those people hung out and where those people would really um, take to something like this, even though they couldn't download it yet. Um, and so understanding our early customer was, was really valuable there. And that's kind of that's you know, one way that we did that. Uh, the other problem we discovered is that no one's really searching. For what we're building, Um, no one was like waking up in the middle of the night, being like, "Oh my God, I wish I didn't have to like email myself stuff or like carry around a thumb drive." That's just like how your computer works. Um, I mean, I wish I had a washing machine, like you put clothes in, press a button, they're clean, they come out. But like, I'm not like waking up in the middle of the night, being like, "Man, it really sucks that there's like this washer thing and there's a dryer, and you have to like put one and wait and put it in the other." But I'm just that's just like how it works. Um, And so it was from that angle, it's like, well, it doesn't matter how many, you can buy all the AdWords in the, in the world, but if no one's searching for what you're making, then you have a problem. And so you have to find other ways of doing that. And so um, the thing that really worked for us um, was first make a product that people really love to use. And there's all kinds of things, elements that go into the craftsmanship and all these little thousands of details that we had to sand down and all these things that some of the other companies didn't really get quite right from an engin- engineering standpoint. But then, if you're able to do that, um, then it, Dropbox actually happened to fall in this category of uh, a sort of unusual category where it solves a problem you don't even know you have, and it actually works. And, you know, unlike that Blu-ray player when you're just all you're trying to do is like watch Batman, and you can't even plug in your TV. That's pe- that's people's kind of average experience with technology, and so you know one way to conceptualize what makes a good product is. You know, good engineering is part of it. Good design is part of it. But really, it's um, one way I think about it is At least, is uh, maximizing the probability that someone shows up at the front door of, you know, your store or your website or or whatever it is, and, and ends up with a solved problem. And that's why things like Craigslist, you know, started in the '90s, doesn't appear to have been updated since the '90s, still, <laughs> by far, the most successful, you know, website or most successful business of its kind. Because you know you show up at Craigslist.org and you leave with your concert tickets or your casual encounter or whatever you're <laughs> looking for. Um, even though the design isn't that great, you know maybe it's not that hard of an engineering problem. Different things. Just um, unbelievably successful. So anyway, it starts with a good. Well, in my opinion, it really starts with a great product and all the marketing or or tricks in the world. Um, you know, it's you know you're not going to push a rock uphill. Um, and then the second thing, what we, so once we understood that, then it made it a lot easier for us to conceptualize this. Um, and so what we did instead, we're like, okay, well we have all these people who appear to really love Dropbox, um, and the only reason we're like succeeding at all besides this sort of dig maneuver we did in the beginning is because they're telling their friends about it. And so why don't we, we, why don't we just like harness that? And how can we give people tools to spread the word? And so what we did was two things that drive the vast majority of all, all of our traffic today or all of our sign-ups, which are one, we made this re- res, uh, incentive referral program where if I tell you about Dropbox, you get some extra space and I get some extra space and we had this kind of currency to work with um, and people were just doing that kind of for its own sake um, where people weren't even using the extra space. They were just re- just referring their friends because they're like, it's like points, right? It's this whole what we would now call kind of a gamif- gamification mechanic even though we didn't. I don't know if that even been, that word had been around back then, but uh, that's what it happened to be. And then the other thing is we created this uh, idea of shared folders, where you know if I'm working on a project at work or I want to share these photos with my family, then all these new all these users um, or, or just by using the product, you you get brought into the fold. And there's this whole you know now it's it there's this whole uh, body of art and science on how to do that and how consumer net companies grow and how viral growth works. But anyway, it was these things were instrumental um, to how we got started, and so um, there's all kinds of things I could say uh, about sort of the intervening years, and this sort of like the one of the frustrating things about giving a talk that's like a half hour is like you have to omit. It's like the montage where you know it, Rocky's punching or whatever, and suddenly like you know I don't know. But uh, you know then obviously, but uh, you're making a good product. Uh, finding ways to get distribution. And then the last thing I'll really touch on is, uh, is because I, I had the chance to ask Mike Moritz, like what really separates the great companies from all the companies that are out there uh, in, in technology? And he's like, one is, he said, hiring the best engineers, and two, the founders having a morbid fascination with the product. Um, and I'm not even going to try to do the whole Welsh accent thing, but... Uh, but those two things, you know, will carry you a long way. And then um, I'm sure he would add having a really big market uh, and all the other things that that matter in a business. But probably the the most amazing thing for me is 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 when it works out. And um, the thing that attracted me to this in the first place was really kind of never uh, like having a high learning curve. So that that part's taken care of. It's always you know you never you're never bored. There's never things to uh, to or never shortage of things to worry about or that are new, um, but what's really exciting is now, you know, we have this op- we, we from the starting point we have the canvas we're painting on. As we've gone from you know millions of users a couple of years ago to tens of millions of users, um, you know, soon we have a very clear path to hundreds of millions of users. Um, you know, of all the people that have thought about kind of like building you know the internet file system or this this fabric that kind of connects all the world's devices and services and apps, you know, we're actually the ones who get to build it and. Um, and when you think about someone who builds things and, uh, and who studies computer science, you're probably not going to go to the Super Bowl, probably not going to be, uh, in Hollywood in movies, but, so for this, this really is a Super Bowl, and, and when it works out, and you actually sit down, you, you, like, um, you look over someone's shoulder at a Starbucks and see a little blue box, or, um, you add up, you know. This many, you know, millions of people, or tens of millions of people, or hundreds of millions of people, time saving them like ten minutes, uh, or making their life like one percent better, or whatever. Suddenly, it's like, okay, this is like lifetimes of pain that we're saving people every day, um, and, and then you know, it's just this is the most like amazing path to actually, you know, if it all works out, actually changing the world. So, uh, I promised leave time for Q and A, so I guess we'll leave it at that. off competitors like now Google Drive and SkyDrive and <laughs> yeah the question is how do you fend off uh, competitors especially when you know they're the largest internet companies in the world um, we think about that from time to time uh, you know the another sort of bias is you always kind of overestimate um, competition not that it should be underestimated but um, for companies like ours, uh, and you think about any company that has gotten to sort of, there are plenty of stories of companies where, you know, they got a really great head start, and then somehow uh, things went south. You know, with Netscape or you know MySpace or the, there, there's a bunch of companies that that you could say fall in this category. And, and when you talk to people in those companies, there's a very clear trend, which is. Uh, that suicide is a much, co- a much more common cause of death than homicide, um, meaning uh, often or the, the, the you know, companies are getting built faster than ever, like in the history of the world. Um, and so, along with that kind of hypergrowth, there are all these different cancers that you can get. And so, things are going to go wrong. You know, my favorite analogy on this is, was Mark Andreessen. He's like, okay. It's like trying to build a, like bake a cake in five minutes. Like no matter how good you are, you can have egg on the ceiling, as we stuff on the walls. You, know, you just pray when you pull the cake out. Maybe it's a little bit lopsided and you can like squish it back. Um, but like if you forget the eggs or you forget the sugar, you can't like sprinkle them on later. So um, how do you figure out the stuff, um, or, or, or how do you figure out what, what stuff you can't fix later? Um, and I'll come back to the competition thing in a second. Sorry for such a tangent. Um, and so often what happens at those companies that screw it up, if you talk to people inside them, they're like, well, we just we lost our focus or um, we hired people that weren't as good and then the talented people we got in the beginning looked around and they're like, I'm tired of fixing this person's bugs or that they don't work as hard or all this stuff and life is short, I'm a talented person, I want to go find the place that has a lot of talented people. So actually... Um, uh, the, the point about hiring the very best people is something we spend a ton of time on, because um, that's again that's the that's the thing you can't sprinkle on later. If you ever lose it, it's gone. Um, and then the other is really distraction. Um, some pretty heartbreaking stories out there of, of of companies that were really promising, but then um, either started trying to do too, too many things, or you know, uh, friends there, the, the the founder complaining that. You know, his board was trying to get him to chase all these deals with MTV and all these like shiny objects. When he's like, "Guys, the the, the site won't even load. It like takes like ten seconds for the web page to show up." Um, you know, and so the power of focus is, is the focus is really powerful. Um, and again, you try to figure out those elements as, as you sort of start from like just coding to like designing and designing systems of code and algorithms to designing systems of people. You know, figuring out the things that other companies have learned about that along the way, um, and so while it's something that's really important to keep track of, you know, most of this, if you actually look at all the data points, it's really more often um, the problems begin at home, not because of some competition. And and um, so how the way so it, the way we'll respond to or the way we are responding to the competition is actually very little is changing. Like nothing in our roadmap actually changed. Maybe there are a couple of things that got reordered, but. Um, you know, we just focus on maximizing the number of happy Dropbox users and figuring out problems, more problems, that people don't even know they have and solving them. Right. So lots of, we're never going to run out of examples of that. Right? Um, you, know, you look at your iPhone and you're like, wow, this has like a whatever megapixel camera and it takes HD video, but then you know, how do I see that on my Samsung TV? You know, Or why is it that, oh my god, this is this, I just discovered that I left my iPhone in a cab and now like all my newborn kids' pictures are like gone forever, like that's a problem you never had to worry about before. Um, and so we think a lot about what kinds of problems that people don't even know they have and, and, and think about solving them. And we think we're the only people that are really thinking about it this way. And so um, keeping our users happy and hiring the best people, those are the two main things. And you can screw up all kinds of other stuff if you get those two right. How do you make good business decisions? Um, I mean it's kind of a hard, it's, it's a hard question to answer. I think, you know, I think for, so the, the question is, how do you make good business decisions? And um, it's kind of a hard question to provide a pithy answer, you know, like how do you play guitar well? I mean, there's a lot, there's a bunch of things that go in it. It's a, it's a good question, but I think it's really about prioritizing those things and, and thinking about just that. How do we get the best people into the company? How do we build a great product? How do we make our users really happy? Um, and then... You know, especially as a first-time CEO, how do you, you have to? Like, it was really helpful to me to, to try to really research how all of these companies worked, especially on the way up. You know, how, how did Google work? How did, and not just like internet companies. But how did Intel work? How did companies in the '70s work? And how what was the kind of eh, learn? Kind of get as many lenses on these different things from a you know to view things from a sales lens or a behavioral behavioral psychology lens or a management lens. All these different things, and so bringing those different kinds of perspectives, try, give, giving yourself context around those things um, and having a lot of tools to kind of deal with any business situation, I think, you know, are, are one framework for, for making good decisions. And hiring great, like, great people into the company that can help you with that stuff. Uh, could you tell a little more about the um, investment process, like uh, the first time you got investment from Sequoia, was it like a no brainer, did, did they offer, did you take whatever they offered, did you negotiate or was it very simple? it's complicated i mean there's there's a lot of stuff that that's sort of one of these kind of a classic kind of pitfall of thing that you can spend a ton of time worrying about um, and but i'm sure any venture capitalist if you could be the you know the worst negotiator in the world but if you're like god you know we're just getting so much traffic we just need money for servers like can you please and you know, we have all these people who are using it we just need some money you know you're going to get some pretty good venture capital investment if that's the problem you actually have. And you know, how do you do that? You get traction. Um, and so there's a whole body of knowledge on that that's actually pretty well spelled out. Venturehacks.com is, the, is where I learned and I think is, is probably the best, uh, best site out there that goes over the nuts and bolts of, of venture investment and a bunch of other interesting stuff. Group fantastic service, first of all, I've been uh, addicted to Dropbox for the last two years in grad school. I uh, use it every day of my life, and it's been fantastic. Uh, but the question that leads up to that, my usage, is that I'm maxed out on my 5GB. And I'm the kind of person who doesn't like to pay for services. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's the truth of the matter. That I do that for Netflix for 7 ninety nine, and that's pretty much it. And I try to feign the payment. So what I do is I tell my mom to join, my dad to join, who don't know anything about technology. You're not going to be using Dropbox anytime in the future. So how do, you, how do you make this happen? Because I'm kind of, for now, I'm actually using Amazon Drive. I'm, I'm using a little bit of Microsoft, and I'm using uh, Dropbox. How do you get people to pay money and make money for your business? Because valuations are all right, but money needs to come in. Uh, question is, how do we actually convince um, people to pay for what we're making? Um, and there's all, actually even with Dropbox as it is, there's all kinds of ways that, um, that you can use a service without actually paying for it. Um, and then there are even things you can do um, around you know using, uh, sort of putting this stuff on Amazon, this stuff on Google, this stuff on Dropbox and, and so on. I mean, our fundamental value proposition is, is that, like, we keep all of your stuff in one place um, and you know, we we do a better job of that than anybody else and, and we ha- and you're free to not have to worry about all this stuff like, you know, what, am I? is it gonna work with my phone? Is it gonna work with my computer? You know, we support all these different platforms um and provide a un- what we hope is a uniformly great experience. Um and a lot of people just want a solved problem and rather than going to all that that trouble of, of sort of partitioning your stuff across all these different places, um that's actually that's actually the point of Dropbox, is to bring it all together and, and they'd rather have that than $10 a month or $100 a year. So fortunately, it, that goes back to the, the um, you know, technology adoption curve. Like some people just, uh, people just have different proclivities for like paying for things or not. And so you know, we just make sure that we're solving a problem that's big enough for people that um, would rather pay for it than just uh, than have to like deal with all these other hurdles. Uh, yes, the paid services are popular. And uh, I, I can't, I can't, I make everybody else be quiet about that, so I have to too. But and can you tell us about a few of the things that crossed your path that you guys decided not to go with? The things that <coughs> seemed like good ideas, but then you decided to like, discard them. Mm. Uh, so the question is, are there things that seemed um, like a like a promising path that we decided not to do? Uh, there are all kinds of great... I mean, that that is, that is almost the essence of what makes the job difficult, is there's these thousands of, of, of things that we could go do and, and you know, all these shiny objects and and usually most of the things that we look back on and like that was a dead end. Um, you know, a lot of them, we, we tried to get Dropbox sort of pre-installed on PCs and all these different things and do deals um, very early on. Um, and you know, the problem was a sort of classic negotiation. We had no leverage. Um, so they were just going to push us around. They made all these ridiculous demands and they kind of you know, um, it's like harpooning this whale, and it, they're just like taking you all over the place. Um, uh, and 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 now it's a completely different story. We have a, a big audience and, and a brand, and all these different things. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you an example. The the, <laughs> the number one thing our our users, or more power users, ask for, which is the ability to watch multiple folders with your Dropbox. And they're like, why? You guys can see it on VoteBox, which is our Voted, you know, our sort of way of that we let uh, our users vote on different features that they want and make requests. Um, like, you know, why the hell haven't you guys let me? Why don't you let me watch multiple folders? Because you know, I want to watch my documents I want to watch the, or you know, map all these different things. And um, and the reason is well, the r- initial reason was like. We built something simple because we didn't have time to build something complicated. <laughs> so it was more technically complicated. There's a lot of UI code. There's all this different stuff that I would have had to go half. I would have gone and had to have built, um, and we just didn't have time to build it because we wanted to get something out the door. Um, but then we realized there was this great benefit to the, sim- the simplicity of the model, where you know your Dropbox will look the same on your phone as it does on your computer, and um, it's pretty easy to explain to people that uh, you have this magic folder and anything you save in here saves everywhere. Um, and, and all these different benefits. And conversely, uh, you know, playing with the other products is sort of like, well, welcome to this, and please configure your folder mapping. And and some people love that, and, and that's great. Um, but most people are very, very confused. And, and and if you're already, you know, if you're already skeptical enough that here's this like new thing that you've never seen before, and and now they're asking you about folder mappings, and uh, you, you know you don't spend your time worrying about folders and files and things like that, then you're going to be pretty turned off. Um, and you know, we, would see, we would find, when we did usability tests, that people couldn't even figure out how to install Dropbox to begin with. Like they would, you know, we brought five people in literally off the street and you know, zero of five, we, we, we kept tally of all these things, zero of five people even discovered that there was a tray icon or a you know, um, little menu bar icon. And... If you don't know that, then you're going to have a lot of trouble getting back to your Dropbox folder and all kinds of other things. You're not going to have a good experience. And we're like, wow, okay, 0%. <laughs> all right? Because we get these emails. We get these you know, emails to feedback, uh, to our feedback alias, and you know, one would be like, oh, my God, Dropbox is amazing. I love it. And the next one would be like, I don't understand how you MIT nerds have, you know, I need a PhD in physics to like even understand this thing. And they're just like, it's a diatribe. And they're like one right after the ab- one right after the other, um, and we're like, that's interesting. And so, uh, so we brought people in off the street, and then we started seeing all these things. We're like, okay, there's the people who are clicking the screenshots in the tour because they think it's their computer. People, um, <laughs> well, you know, you laugh, but it's actually our problem, right? We got this. These are people that, you know, that would be that would be you know, painting us if if they actually had a good experience, um, and. And all kinds of things. they would they would click on internet explorer and it would obscure the download windows so they ne- or they couldn't figure out where the download actually went i mean just a we, list of dozens and dozens and dozens of things and we just sanded them down we're just like okay well we're going to get to thing number 71 today and and that and that, now if you actually install dropbox you see this big bouncing green arrow whenever you you know where there's like hey this is the icon you have to click on to get to your dropbox um, and so uh, kind of long answer to it's amazing um, even just like 10% more friction might cut your audience in half, and and, and it's exponential. So uh, we decided that it was just not worth the complexity to to build that and just wasn't worth the engineering trade off. In the back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I have a startup and we use Dropbox every day, and I don't know if this is a preference or not, but why did you go with an interface where if you remove the file, you're not removing a copy? That drives us crazy. Is that a preference? Uh, So the question is, why is it when you, uh, when someone moves something from a shared folder, uh, it moves and doesn't copy? Um, And, you know, unfortunately that's just, we only have so much control over the underlying operating system or or the Finder or or Explorer on Windows. And, And that's just the way those things were designed and sort of the extra magic that gets sprinkled on that Dropbox does, you know, it just isn't aware of it. And so we, I mean, there's probably some kinds of hacks that we could do to like, if you move something out of a shared folder, um, warn you about it or you know, maybe or do different schemes to make things read-only or, or things like that. But um, yeah, we're, we're aware it's, it's a problem and, and, and that we should do something to make it better. It, it's it's it, it's it's just a limitation of of the or it's just a constraint where we don't actually, you know, make the underlying operating system so we can only have so much control over certain aspects of how it behaves. Uh, s- guy dark blue shirt sitting. Um, so you get really lucky finding a co-founder. What advice would you have for the people trying to find co-founders? So what what particular skills do you value, like looking back? So the question is what do you look for in a co-founder? Um, and I think first and foremost, it has to be someone where you just really really um, respect their judgment um, and and just sort of respect just have absolute faith and trust in them as, as a person um, doesn't mean they, they're, they're, you know, it doesn't mean that they'll be good at everything uh, in fact it's actually good if there's some complementarity and uh, that there's some you know, there'll be things that you're both interested in and in and Arash's cases we're both very passionate about the technology and the product design and and a very opinion about those things. Unfortunately, our tastes are pretty similar on, on that front. Um, but then there's stuff where it completely diverges. Like I find all the whole business side of the house absolutely fascinating. I think a lot about you know the the broader strategy of how do we end up. You know, we have the potential to be this really great company, but how do we actually get there, um, given all the sort of you know, the minefield in the way? Um, and and he does not carry. He is not at all interested in any of that stuff. Um, and he is happiest when he's like, you know, shaking the, and like shaking an Android phone and discovering that when you long hold it like this and then rotate it and then shake it, like, you know, there's some bug and and you know he'll be responding to questions in the forums on his deathbed. Um, and, and and while I you know, <laughs> uh, while while I'm capable of doing that, like, uh, and and I think it's important to, for everybody to do some element of that. Um, you know, I I can focus on other areas, but I know that he's like got that under control, and so. Um, I think, yeah, it's really you and your, you and your co-founder, you know, it's, it's, it's like you can't even really, I mean you could have some kind of horrible situation where like someone gets kicked out or these different things, but you know, they say you, know, you can't divorce your investors, and, and in most cases you can't really divorce your co-founder without pretty horrible things happening. Um, and uh, But more important than that is really you, know, you and your co-founder are kind of the seed crystal for the early team. That's going to assemble around you, and then that, you know the first ten people. Those first ten people are going to be the seed crystal for, you know, the next hundred, and you know it keeps going out from there. And um, in general, talented people are not going to like join people that are like less talented. Um, but there's often a lot of pressure, for, or you can sort of let the hiring bar go, where you're like, well, you know, we really need someone to solve this problem, and it's really hurting us that no one is like building this thing. And so, is it really that big a deal that this engineer kind of bombed that question, or like doesn't really? That excited about Dropbox or isn't really going to work that hard. You know, you have to say no, um, and so it's really just kind of finding someone that 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 matches you in that way. How you do that is a much. You know, it's like how do you find, you know, a spouse? It's like this. <laughs> it's, 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 you'll spend more time with your co-founder than your spouse. In the back. Yeah. How do you react to somebody telling you that it's just a feature and not a company? Question is, how do you respond to someone uh, telling you that, that you're, what you're making is a, is a feature and not a product? Uh, so Steve Jobs was giving us a little bit of a hard time uh, saying, that, saying that we were a feature and not a product when, um, when we didn't want to sell a company. And so, I mean, you know, everybody's got opinions. <laughs> <laughs> That's, so the question is, uh, hiring, um, hiring great people is an important aspect of, of building a great company, but how do you spot great people? Um, and uh, it's actually a really good question because in, 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 some, some of these things are more intuitive than other things because, like, you know, uh, for an engineer, an, a good engineer can generally recognize another good engineer. Um, because you can sort of analyze our code and have all these technical discussions, and you're both very kind of versed in the same thing. But think about it; it's like okay, well, if you don't play, uh, if you don't play guitar, and you see someone playing like a Beatles song, you're like, oh my god, like that's am- and that's amazing. This person's like playing music, and I can't even get my like fingers on the strings. Um, and you're like, wow, it's amazing, you know. And uh, the same way that someone who doesn't know anything about computers is like. Um, you know, oh, I need a website for my, you know, my, uh, I don't know, mortgage firm, and you know, my, and I met this kid, and he, he's typing all these symbols, and and he's like building this amazing website, and and, and wow, um, but then you know, after you meet more of these people, then you meet Jimi Hendrix, and you're like, okay, <laughs> you know, um, but you can't tell, or you can sort of tell, but like. Uh, the point is, by just having that one data point, you know, there's nothing to extrapolate from that other than that, oh, man, God, this person knows so much about this area that I don't know anything about. And um, this is really important as uh, is a really important subject because, as a founder, you, know, you might be a good engineer, but you're not good at all this other stuff. Um, and pretty much anybody who has made their background in, in some of their area, like a business development person or a finance person, is going to know uh, a whole lot more about that than you. Um, and so, one interesting thing we did is, uh, well, we screwed it up a few times, we hired people that just didn't work out. Um, it was a very painful experience. Uh, two is uh, we all, a lot of our probably all of our early business people for the first couple of years we hired as consultants, um, which is kind of strange. Uh, I don't. It's hard to play it the other way, so I don't know if it's a net good thing or a bad thing. But um, it worked well, so that we sort of got versed. We learned a lot in the process of kind of you know getting a brain dump from this person, um, and then we also would talk to large numbers of, of you know, a lot of marketing people or a lot of finance people or a lot of business development people. And over time, you, you get more and more context as, okay, well, what's really important in this field? Um, and who's the best person I've ever met on, the, on this stuff? And this is another area where if you get sort of the best possible investors that you can, then they'll have really great networks of, of you know, talented people in all these different fields. And that's something where you can help lean on them to interview uh, these candidates on your behalf. but. Uh, that is actually one of the harder things um, about doing this. Is is you know, how do you judge people who you have no context for what they do? What do you as a CEO focus on on a daily basis? Um, so, the question is, what what as a CEO do I focus on on a daily basis? Um, as you know, another hard question to answer, but it's sort of like, well, what is the highest leverage um, use of my time? It is is one kind of framing, you know? Okay, how, how can uh, yeah, I think it's sort of going to. There's a very, a very long answer to that question. It's really, you know, how do we make sure we're doing the core things really, really well? Like making sure we're hiring really good people, making sure we're building a great product, and making sure our users are happy. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of other things that you have to worry more or less about over time. And then there's a lot. Then you build a team around you, and and then have to make sure that they're, you know, happy and effective, and and. You know, all kind of rowing in the same direction, um, and then you know, there's invariably fires that have to be put out, and um, and so it's uh, it's actually a it's a surprisingly complicated question to answer because many days, you know, especially when people make the transition from you know, being an individual contributor to being a manager, you know, so many days pass you're like, oh my God, what did I even get done today? Um, I was just like talking, and I was just like responding to email, and like. <laughs> Uh, it's a follow-up question, do, do I focus on culture? Like absolutely, um, you know, Arash, my co-founder, is even more opinionated about this stuff. Um, you know, One of my weaknesses, well sort of double-edged sword, is I'm, I tend to be optimistic in general. And so I'm always like optimistic about people. So I'm like, oh well, you know, or give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, and he's, he's the other way around. So it's actually a good kind of counterbalance. <laughs> yeah. So how you deal nice with question. the co-founder share and why Steve Jobs picked your company? Other than your competitors, what is, say the first part of the question. Here? First question: How you deal with co founder share? Co-founders like Sh- share percentage. Oh, share. Okay. The yes. uh, second question equity. is: Why is the job pick your company rather than your competitors? Uh, so I'll answer both both questions quickly. So how, how do you you know divide up equity with your co-founder? And again, very nuanced subject. Uh, without. But people have written great things about that. And, it actually, and actually, it's one of those things where if you look it up on Quora or you, you search for things on Google, you get, you get some very uh, like knowledgeable responses. Um, and so I don't really have anything beyond that to add. Uh, and then it, beyond just sort of the basic things around you, make sure it's subject to vesting, meaning that they get it over time so that if you have some disastrous situation, you don't have to deal with that. Um, and the second question was, why did Steve Jobs pick our company over... Competitors, um, you know, I think any company that does something interesting on the way up, like gets all kinds of conversations like that that happen. And um, you know, I think the, the started the conversation with a compliment that we had a great product, and um, which is you know high praise. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, I presume it's I can't answer that on his behalf, but presumably, you know, they just they've clearly understood that this is something uh, important. All right. Thanks a bunch. We've got we've got a basis for you to hear. You have been listening to the Draper Fisher Jurvetson Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find additional podcasts and videos of these lectures online at ecorner.stanford.edu.